Lesson 5 for January 26th through to February 1, The Seven Seals. Sabbath afternoon, January 26th. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're moving through the book of Revelation and we're coming to uh, chapter 5 and chapter 6. And here we find the story of the seven seals. And as we go through them, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us, that we may understand what they are and what they mean for us today in our personal day-to-day lives. Each of us is facing different issues and different problems in our lives, Lord, and I pray that today everyone who is listening will find their needs satisfied in you through the work of your Holy Spirit as we open your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Let's read that again, Revelation 5, verses 9 and 10. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Revelation chapter 6 continues the scene of chapters 4 and 5, which describes Christ as worthy to open the sealed scroll because through his victorious life and death he regained what was lost through Adam. He is now ready, by opening the seals on the scroll, to carry forward the plan of salvation to its ultimate realisation. Pentecost marked the beginning of the spread of the gospel by which Christ expands his kingdom. Thus, the breaking of the seals refers to the preaching of the gospel and the consequences of rejecting it. The opening of the seventh and last seal brings us to the conclusion of this world's history. Revelation chapter 3 verse 21 gives us the key to the meaning of the seven seals. To him who overcomes I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Chapters 4 and 5 tell us of Christ's overcoming and his worthiness as a result of his sacrifice at Calvary to be our heavenly high priest and to open the scroll. The last verses of chapter 7 describe the overcomers before Christ's throne. Thus, chapter 6 is about God's people in the process of overcoming so that they might share Jesus' throne. Sunday, January 27, the opening of the first seal. Question, read Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 through to 8, along with Leviticus 26, 21 to 26, and Matthew 24, 1 to 14. Note the common key words in these texts. What do you learn about the meaning of the first four seals on the basis of these parallels? First of all, Revelation 6, beginning at verse 1. Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him. And he went out, conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that people should kill one another, and there was given to him a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. 
And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures, saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature, saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and the name of him who sat on it was Death, and Hades followed with him. And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. And we'll compare that with Leviticus 26, beginning at verse 21. Then, if you walk contrary to me and are not willing to obey me, I will bring on you seven times more plagues according to your sins. I will also send wild beasts among you, who shall rob you of your children, destroy your livestock, and make you few in number, and your highways shall be desolate. And if by these things you are not reformed by me, but walk contrary to me, then I also will walk contrary to you, and I will punish you yet seven times for your sins. And I will bring a sword against you that will execute the vengeance of the covenant. When you are gathered together within your cities, I will send pestilence among you, and you shall be delivered into the hand of the enemy." When I have cut off your supply of bread, ten women shall bake your bread in one oven, and they shall bring back your bread by weight, and you shall eat and not be satisfied. And Matthew 24, beginning at verse 1. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumours of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. The events of the seven seals must be understood in the context of the Old Testament covenant curses, specified in terms of sword, famine, pestilence and wild beasts, as we saw in Leviticus 26. Ezekiel calls them God's four severe judgments in Ezekiel 14.21. They were the disciplinary judgments by which God, seeking to awaken his people to their spiritual condition, chastised them when they became unfaithful to the covenant. In a similar way, the four horsemen are means that God uses to keep his people awake as they await Jesus' return. There also are close parallels between the first four seals and Matthew 24, 4-14, in which Jesus explained what would happen in the world. The four horsemen are the means by which God keeps his people on the right track by reminding them that this world, as it now exists, is not their home. Although symbolic, Revelation 6, verses 1 and 2 is about conquest too. It brings to mind Revelation 19, 11-16, which portrays Christ as riding a white horse and leading his heavenly armies of angels to deliver his people at the second coming. Let's read that. Revelation 19, beginning at verse 11. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. 
His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations." and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. As a symbol of purity and colour, white is regularly associated with Christ and his followers. The rider on the horse holds a bow and is given a crown, as we saw in Revelation 6.2, which evokes the image of God in the Old Testament, riding a horse with a bow in his hand while conquering his people's enemies, as we read in Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 8 to 13, and Psalm 45, verses 4 and 5. Let's look at those. Firstly, Habakkuk, chapter 3, beginning at verse 8. O Lord, were you displeased with the rivers? Was your anger against the rivers? Was your wrath against the sea that you rode on your horses, your chariots of salvation? Your bow was made quite ready. Oaths were sworn over your arrows, Selah. You divided the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and trembled. The overflowing of the water passed by. The deep uttered its voice, and lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their habitation, as the light of your arrows they went, at the shining of your glittering spear. You marched through the land in indignation, you trampled the nations in anger, you went forth for the salvation of your people, for salvation with your anointed. You struck the head from the house of the wicked, by laying bare from foundation to neck. Salah. And Psalm 45, verses 4 and 5. And in your majesty ride prosperously because of truth, humility, and righteousness. And your right hand shall teach you awesome things. Your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. The people fall under you. The Greek word for the crown in Revelation chapter 6, verse 2, worn by the rider, is Stephanos, S-T-E-P-H-A-N-O-S, which is the crown of victory we read about in Revelation 2.10. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. And Revelation 3.11, Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. This rider is a conqueror, going forward, conquering and to conquer. The scene of the first seal describes the spread of the gospel, which started powerfully at Pentecost. Through the dispersion of the gospel, Christ began expanding his kingdom. There were and still are many territories to win and many people who have yet to become followers of Jesus before the ultimate conquest is realised with Christ's coming in glory. Prophetically, the scene of the first seal corresponds to the message to the church in Ephesus. It describes the apostolic period of the first century during which the gospel spread rapidly throughout the world, as we read in Colossians one twenty three, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. And so to finish the day, why must we always remember that in Christ we are on the winning side, regardless of our immediate circumstances? Monday, January 28, the second and third seals. Question, read Revelation chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. 
On the basis of the description of the red horse and the rider, what is being talked about here in reference to the gospel? Revelation 6, beginning at verse 3. When I opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that people should kill one another, and there was given to him a great sword. Red is the colour of blood. The rider has a great sword and is allowed to take peace from the earth, which opens the way for people to kill one another, as we read in Matthew 24, verse 6. And you will hear of wars and rumours of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. The second seal describes the consequences of rejecting the gospel, beginning in the second century. As Christ is waging spiritual warfare through the preaching of the gospel, the forces of evil render strong resistance. Inevitably, persecution follows. The rider does not do the killing. Instead, he takes peace from the earth. As a result, persecution inevitably follows, as we read in Matthew 10 and verse 34. Do not think that I come to bring peace on earth. I do not come to bring peace, but a sword. Question. Read Revelation chapter 6, verses 5 and 6, along with Leviticus 26.26 and Ezekiel 4.16. On the basis of the description of the black horse and the rider, what reality associated with the preaching of the gospel is referred to here? Revelation 6, beginning at verse 5. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. And Leviticus twenty six twenty six, When I have cut off your supply of bread, ten women will bake your bread in one oven, and they shall bring back your bread by weight, and you shall eat and not be satisfied. And Ezekiel chapter 4 verse 16, Moreover he said to me, Son of man, surely I will cut off the supply of bread in Jerusalem. They shall eat bread by weight and with anxiety, and shall drink water by measure and with dread. The rider on the black horse holds a scale for weighing food. An announcement is made, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius in Revelation 6.6. In that part of the world, grain, oil and wine were the basic necessities of life, as we read in Deuteronomy 11.14. Then I will give you the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain, your new wine and your oil. To eat bread by carefully weighing the grain denotes great scarcity or famine, as we read in Leviticus 26.26 and Ezekiel 4.16. In John's day, a denarius was a daily wage, as we read in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 2. Now, when he had agreed with the labourers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. In normal circumstances, a daily wage would buy all the necessities for the family for that day. However, a famine would enormously inflate the normal price of food. In the scene of the third seal, it would take a whole day's work to buy just enough food for only one person. In order to feed a small family, a day's wage would be used to buy three quarts of barley, a cheaper course of food for the poor. The scene of the third seal points to the further consequences of rejecting the gospel, beginning in the 4th century, as the church gained political power. If the white horse represents the preaching of the gospel, the black horse denotes the absence of the gospel and the reliance on human traditions. Grain, in the Bible, symbolizes the word of God, as we read in Luke 8.11. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. 
the rejection of the gospel inevitably results in a famine of the word of God similar to the one prophesied by Amos in Amos 8 verses 11 to 13. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but on hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea, and from north to east. They shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, but shall not find it. In that day, the fair virgins, the strong young men, shall faint from thirst. Tuesday, January 29, the scene of the fourth seal. Question, read Revelation chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. What scene is portrayed here? How is this scene related to the previous one? Revelation 6, beginning at verse 7. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and the name of him who sat on it was Death, and Hades followed with him. And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth, to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. The colour of the horse in the fourth seal is expressed with the Greek word chloros, C-H-L-O-R-O-S, which is the ashen grey colour of a decomposing corpse. The rider's name is Death. Meanwhile, Hades, the place of the dead, accompanies him. These two are allowed to destroy people by sword, hunger, death and wild beasts over one-fourth of the earth. Let's look at Matthew 24, verses 7 and 8. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of of sorrows. The good news is that the power of death and Hades is very limited. They are given authority only over a part, one-fourth, of the earth. Jesus assures us that he has the keys of Hades and death, as we read in Revelation 1 verse 18, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Question, review once again Revelation chapter 2, the contents of the messages to the churches in Ephesus, Sardis, Pergamum and Thyatira. Compare the situation in those churches with the scenes of the opening of the first four seals. What parallels do you observe between them? Well, let's just read Revelation chapter 2. Beginning at verse 1, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labour, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience, and have laboured for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich, and I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. 
he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast to my name, and do not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you, because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come to you quickly, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth." He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet like fine brass. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you, because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants, to commit sexual immorality, and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. Now to you I say... And to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come, and he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron, they shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels." I also have received from my father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The scene of the seven seals portrays the future of the church. As was the case with the seven churches, the seals correlate to the different periods in Christian history. During the apostolic times, the gospel rapidly spread throughout the world. This expansion was followed by the period of persecution in the Roman Empire. From the end of the 1st century to the beginning of the 4th century, as portrayed in the scene of the second seal. The third seal points to the period of compromise of the 4th and 5th centuries, which was characterized by a spiritual famine caused by the lack of the Bible and its truth, leading to the Dark Ages. The fourth seal aptly describes the spiritual death that characterized Christianity for nearly a thousand years. Revelation 6 6 is the verse that tells us the oil and the wine will not be affected by the famine of the third seal's plague. Oil symbolizes the Holy Spirit, as we read in 1 Samuel 16.13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah, and in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And new wine symbolizes salvation in Jesus Christ, as we read in Mark 2.22. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine bursts the wineskins, the wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins. What do the meanings of these symbols tell us about the fact that even when the word of God is scarce, the Holy Spirit is still at work, and that salvation is still available to all who seek truth. 
Wednesday, January 30, the opening of the fifth seal. Question, read Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. What is happening here? Revelation 6, beginning at verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? The word soul in the Bible denotes the whole person, as we read in Genesis 2.7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. The martyrdom of God's faithful and persecuted people is portrayed here in terms of the sacrificial blood poured out at the base of the earthly sanctuary's altar of sacrifice. That's described in Exodus 29 verse 12. You shall take some of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger and pour all the blood beside the base of the altar. And Leviticus chapter 4 verse 7. And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of sweet incense before the Lord which is in the tabernacle of meeting, and he shall pour the remaining blood of the bull at the base of the altar of the burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. God's people have suffered injustice and death for their faithfulness to the gospel. They cry out to God, asking him to step in and to vindicate them. These texts concern the injustice done here on earth. They are not saying anything about the state of the dead. After all, these people do not appear to be enjoying the bliss of heaven. Question, read Revelation chapter 6 verse 11 along with Deuteronomy 32:43 and Psalm 79:10. What was heaven's response to the prayers of God's martyred people? Revelation 6:11, then a white robe was given to each of them. And it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer, until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren, who would be killed as they were, were completed. And Deuteronomy 32 verse 43, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants, and render vengeance to his adversaries. He will provide atonement for his land and his people. And Psalm 79 verse 10. Why should the nations say, Where is their God? Let there be known among the nations in our sight the avenging of the blood of of your servants, which has been shed. The martyred saints were given white robes representing Christ's righteousness, which leads to their vindication. His gift to those who accept his offer of grace. Revelation 3 verse 5 He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. And in Revelation 19 verse 8, And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then they were told that they would have to rest until their brothers, who would go through a similar experience, are made complete. It is important to notice that the Greek text of Revelation 6.11 does not have the word number. Revelation does not talk of a number of the martyred saints to be reached before Christ's return, but of completeness regarding their character. God's people are made complete by the robe of Christ's righteousness, not their own merits, as we read in Revelation 7, 9 and 10. The martyred saints will not be resurrected and vindicated until the second coming of Christ and the beginning of the millennium. And Revelation 20 verse 4 reads, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus, and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The scene of the fifth seal applies historically to the period leading up to and following the Reformation, during which millions were martyred because of their faithfulness. Matthew 24.21 reads, 
For then there will be great tribulation, such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. It also brings to mind the experience of God's suffering people throughout history from the time of Abel in Genesis 4.10. And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Until the time when God will finally avenge the blood of his servants, as it says in Revelation 19 verse 2. So to finish today, How long, O Lord, has been the cry of God's suffering people throughout history. Who has never struggled with the lack of justice in this life? What comfort do you find in the scene of the fifth seal, knowing that one day justice will indeed be done? Thursday, January 31, the opening of the sixth seal. In the fifth seal, we see God's people suffering injustice in a hostile world, as they cry out for God's intervention on their behalf. The time has come for God to intervene in answer to the prayers of his people. Question, read Revelation 6, verses 12 to 14, along with Matthew 24, 28 and, 29 and 30, and Second Thessalonians one seven to ten. What is being revealed here? First of all, Revelation six, beginning at verse twelve. I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And Matthew 24, verses 29 and 30. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And Second Thessalonians 1, beginning at verse 7. And I give you, who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord, and from the glory of his power, when he comes, in that day to be glorified in his saints, and to be admired among all those who believe, because our testimony among you was believed. The last three signs of the sixth seal were foretold by Jesus in Matthew twenty four, twenty nine, and 30. They were to occur near the end of the Great Tribulation, as it says in Revelation 7.14, in 1798, as harbingers of the Second Coming. As with Christ's prophecy in Matthew 24, the sun, moon, stars, or meteors, and sky are literal here. The use of the word as or like paints a picture of an actual thing or event. The sun became black as sackcloth, the moon became like blood, and the stars fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs. The Christians in the Western world recognize the fulfillment of Jesus' words in the order of each of these signs. The Lisbon earthquake in 1755, the dark day of May 19, 1780, experienced in eastern New York and southern New England, and the spectacular meteor shower over the Atlantic Ocean on November 13, 1833. The fulfillment of this prophecy in Revelation 6, 12-14, led to a series of revivals and to the realization that Christ's second coming was near. Read Revelation chapter 6, verses 15-17, to 17, also Isaiah 2, 19 and Hosea 
10 verse 8 and Luke 23 verse 30. The scenes portray people of all walks of life in a panic trying to hide from the terror of the upheaval of the coming of Christ. They are asking rocks and mountains to cover them in order to protect them from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Revelation 6 verses 15 to 17 And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man, hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? And Isaiah chapter 2 verse 19. They go into the holes of the rocks and into the caves of the earth from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty when he arises to shake the earth mightily. And Hosea chapter 10 verse 8. Also the high places of Avon, the sin of Israel, shall be destroyed. The thorn and thistle shall grow on their altars. And they shall say to the mountains, cover us, and to the hills, fall on us. The scenes portray people of all walks of life in panic trying to hide from the terror of the upheaval of the coming of Christ. They are asking rocks and mountains to cover them in order to protect them from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, as it said in Revelation 6.16. The time has arrived for justice to be dispensed as Christ comes to be glorified in his saints, as it says in Second Thessalonians 1 and verse 10. The end of the wicked is described in Revelation 19, verses 17 to 21. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast... The kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast live into the lake of fire burning with brimstone and the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse and all the birds were filled with their flesh. The scene concludes with a rhetorical question by the terror-stricken wicked, as in Revelation 6.17, The great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Nahum 1.6 says, Who can stand before his indignation? Who, who can endure the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire, and the rocks are thrown down by him. And Malachi 3 verse 2. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like launderer's soap. The answer to that question is given in Revelation 7, verse 4. Those who will be able to stand in that day are the sealed people of God. Revelation 7, verse 4 reads, And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. And so to finish the day, Who can endure the day of his coming? Malachi 3, verse 2. How would you answer that question? And what biblical reasons can you give for that answer? Bring your answers to class on Sabbath. Friday, February 1. The vision of the opening of the seven seals points symbolically to God's care for and discipline of his people on earth, 
As Kenneth A. Strand has pointed out, in Scripture there is assurance that God has always cared for his people, that in history itself he is ever-present to sustain them, and that, in the great eschatological denouement, he will give them full vindication and an incomprehensibly generous reward in life everlasting. The book of Revelation picks up and expands beautifully this same theme, and thus Revelation is not by any means some sort of offbeat apocalypse that is out of tune with biblical literature in general. It conveys the very heart and substance of the biblical message. Indeed, as Revelation emphatically points out, the living one, the one who conquered death and the grave, as it said in Revelation one eighteen, will never forsake his faithful followers, and that even when they suffer martyrdom, they are victorious, as it says in Revelation 12.11, with the crown of life awaiting them. And we're going to look at several texts here. And here he refers us to Revelation chapter 2 verse 10, do not fear any of these things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. And Revelation 21 verses 1 to 4, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And Revelation 22 verse 4, They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. And that's a quote from Kenneth A. Strand from the seven heads do they represent Roman emperors in Symposium on Revelation Book 2 from the Daniel and Revelation Committee series published at uh, Silver Springs Biblical Research Institute in 1992, Volume 7, page 206. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. 1. What valuable lessons have you learned from the scene of the opening of the seven seals? How does it show you that, no matter how bad things are on earth, God is still sovereign, and ultimately all the promises that we have in Christ will be fulfilled? 2. Reflect on the following statement from the Acts of the Apostles, page 9. The Church is God's appointed agency for the salvation of men. It was organised for service, and its mission is to carry the gospel to the world. End of quote. Think of your local church. How could it be more faithful in order to reach people with the gospel message? 3. In class, bring your answer to Thursday's final question. Who can endure the day of his coming, and why can they endure? Discuss the implications of your answer in terms of how we should be living today in order to be prepared for the day of his coming. Inside Story Our mission story this week is by Andrew McChesney of Adventist Mission and it's entitled Adopted at a Funeral. Mourners gathered for the funeral of the young mother at the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Malaj, a town just two miles or three kilometres from Mozambique's border with Malawi. The woman had died of HIV complications just five days after giving birth to a baby boy. Her HIV-positive husband, the boy's father, had died earlier. The wee baby bawled during the funeral. He was crying because there was no one to nurse him, said Clement Matthias Malala, a 61-year-old farmer who attended the funeral. 
Clement spoke with the baby's relatives after the funeral and learned that they had little money for milk and diapers. He considered buying the items, but worried that the relatives might resell them, so he offered to adopt the baby. The boy Laston is now five and the youngest of four orphans adopted by Clement and his wife. They also have four grown biological children. Clement, who grows green beans and maize on his farm in rural western Mozambique, is an active church member and lay evangelist who has led 430 people to baptism over the past 13 years. But nothing has touched his heart like his four adopted children who lost their parents to HIV-AIDS. God has blessed me with the gift of bringing people to him, but real happiness comes in caring for these orphans, he said. The adults that I lead to Christ are able to take care of their physical needs, but the orphans would suffer twice without me. Their physical needs wouldn't be met, and they might lose salvation. HIV-AIDS is a major challenge in Mozambique, and Clement is among Seventh-day Adventists striving to make a difference. He adopted his first orphan, Rogerio, after seeing the two-year-old scavenging for food at the roadside. Relatives told him that Rogerio's parents had died and gladly handed him over when he offered to raise the boy. Clement adopted the other two children, both girls, in a similar way. Rogerio is now 15 and the two girls are 11 and 8. The least I can do is to take a few children and feed them in my home, Clement said. Clement longs for an Adventist school where his adopted children can study in Melange. We as a church are supposed to invest in education, to invest in the future of the church, he said. And part of this quarter's 13th Sabbath offering will help build such a school in Clement's town of Melange. Thank you for your mission offerings. You have been listening to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide by Dr. Percy Harold from Queensland, Australia. This service is brought to you by Hope Channel, the Sabbath School Department and Christian Services for the Blind. Remember, God is always faithful.